0: Hi, y'all. It's Angela, and I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled. And today, you're in for a very special treat because everybody thinks about this topic, and some people feel comfortable talking about this topic, and some people don't feel comfortable talking about this topic. And so one of my favorite sayings is get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so today, we're going to be talking about Money and prices and raising prices, and we have a coach here, a, a business coach who's an expert in this. And so, I want to welcome Katie
1: Wusso to the show. Hi, Katie. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm super excited to talk about this
0: because. I know a lot of ladies are listening, and gentlemen, we love you too if you're out there listening, um, but for some reason, women have a really hard time with pricing in general and raising prices because they think that they're going to lose business, and so I have lots of thoughts around this, but before we even jump into talking about pricing and numbers and It goes way deeper than that, but before you really became an expert in this, and before you became a business coach, take us back and share with us, where did you grow up? What did you go to school for, and is that really what you're doing now? Welcome to Business Unveiled, the podcast designed to help you thrive in the creative community. Here's your host, events and productivity consultant, Angela Profit. What's up GSD leaders? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Business Unveiled where we share expert tips and secrets from top creative industry professionals. You know we're going to take you behind the scenes of our experiences, share with you what we've learned from them and how it's made us stronger because no one said it's easy owning a business, right? But it's a lot more fun when you've got a strong support team around you. And that's exactly what we do at GSD Creative. We're right there by your side. And I'm so excited that you've chosen this podcast to take the first step in growing a productive, profitable, and successful, wildly successful business within the hospitality and creative industry. Today's episode is being brought to you by GSD Academy, where I personally walk you through my four-step process with personalized videos, I give you downloadable templates, and so many resources. So if you're serious about changing your life and your business and you're ready to GSD, that is get shit done, go to bit.ly slash GSD Academy.
1: Yeah, there there is a little bit of continuity between what I went to school for and what I'm doing now, um, but I am from Texas. I grew up in the Dallas area, and then I went to the University of Texas for college, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do, and so I just went to the business school because I said, you know what, if I don't really know what I want to do, then business is, is a pretty safe bet. I think I can get a job working at a business. <laughs> But so I went to business school, I initially actually was a marketing major, but then I ended up changing to finance. Um, and there's a whole backstory around that. But I went to, you know, I went to school for finance. And then I was always really intrigued by the idea of being a consultant because i really like problem solving and working with teams and i liked the idea of constantly working on new clients and new projects and and so i ended up getting a job as a consultant for sort of a niche firm doing financial and strategy consulting and i did that for about 10 years i did i worked for five years as a as a full-time employee with all the travel and all the you know all the accoutrements of being a full-time employee. And then when my Ah. first daughter was born, I went freelance for another five years and basically was a part-time contractor to my old job. And I loved what I was doing. I loved, I loved the people that I was working with. I loved being a consultant. I loved doing the strategy work and the financial work and all of that stuff. But my, my company, all of our clients were governmental entities and no offense to governmental entities. I'm not anti-government. That we need, sound we, need, fun, though, we no. need governmental entities, but they don't move fast. Yeah, And they often don't, you know, we would, we would get to the end of these projects and present our findings to the clients. And, you know, oftentimes it would be, thank you very much for doing this work. And then the report, you know, the 500 page report that I had written would sit on a shelf and nothing would happen. And so I hated that. I hated feeling like my work wasn't making any sort of impact. Yeah. And so we actually moved to DC from Texas in 2017. And I thought, you know, this is a, this is a good opportunity for me to cut ties with my, my previous employer and start t- getting my own clients. Cause I already had a freelance, you know, I already had an LLC. I was already a freelancer, but I was, but I was still getting probably 90% of my income from my corporate clients. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to cut this off and see, what I can do to get my own clients and to do work that does have an impact. And that is, is more meaningful to me. And so that's when I started marketing, marketing myself as a consultant. Then I later started calling myself a coach because that was really more kind of the work that I was doing was coaching versus consulting. And my very first client was a creative entrepreneur, probably three or four out of the first five clients that I got when I started um, building my business were all creatives. And I was, and it just, it just worked. The vibe that I had with, with those types of clients, it was, it was just really good chemistry. And so that's when I decided to, to focus my entire business around using my financial and strategy expertise to come alongside creative entrepreneurs. That's awesome. And so Would
0: you say like, if you had to describe like your perfect client, it would be like a creative entrepreneur?
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. It would be, you know, my ideal client, my focus is an early stage creative entrepreneur. So service-based creative, somebody that's trying to get clients, somebody who's probably a solopreneur, or maybe they have like an assistant um, that they work with, but small business in the first zero to three years of their business is really who I work with. Gotcha. And then, I mean, as I'm a creative
0: entrepreneur, so that's why I'm over here laughing. And so many of the people that I'm around, they're all creative entrepreneurs. And if they don't know what they don't know when it comes to their numbers and their pricing. And if we have a conversation, it's, you know, it goes something like this. So how did you come up with your pricing? Well, I just checked what the other two th- or three people down the road were doing. Yeah. And it's like, that is not yeah. the w- right
1: way to do it. I went into a Facebook group and I polled people that I don't know and have never met in my life and asked what they were <laughs> charging. And that's what I charge now it 's crazy, and so, but i didn 't know any different right until
0: I had a business a mentor who taught me he 's like no that 's not what you do. You figure out your experience and what you 're worth and your time and your expenses and your overhead and your goals and where you want to go, and so, I guess my first question really is like, why are so many people, especially women? why are they undercharging? Like, is it really about the competitive edge or is it just they're, they're not educated? Uh, because I wasn't educated. I don't mean that in a harsh way. Um, it's just, I didn't know what I didn't know. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think, to, to our previous point of going and asking your friends what they charge or going into a Facebook group and asking what they charge, you have to start somewhere, right? And everybody has to, you got, just got to put a number on it and move forward and, and figure out where you need to adjust later. And so if that's where you have been, where the listeners have been, that's okay, but we don't want to stay there forever where our pricing is, is sort of random hodgepodge or based on somebody else's business and not your business. But I think there are a lot of different reasons why people undercharge. It's a very multifaceted problem. I am not immune to this. When I first started, you know, I started my freelance practice, um, I guess that was in 2011, and you know, most of my work came from my corporate job, but I still kind of dipped my toe into the water of getting my own clients. And while I was working and freelancing for my corporate job, my corporate boss was billing my time out at $125 an hour. And I turned around and charged my freelance clients that I brought in the door $25 an hour. So this is certainly not something that I have, I've always been great at in my own business. And I think part of that is, is the imposter syndrome thing, just general lack of confidence, general lack of understanding of what our, our work is really, really worth in the marketplace. So all of those things come into play. But the two biggest factors that I have personally observed as a coach and why people are undercharging is one, you're charging based on the time you're spending versus the value that you're creating. So you might say, it doesn't take me much time to create this logo, or it doesn't take me any time at all to style someone's wardrobe or to to plan this photo shoot. It's so easy for me. So I can't charge a lot of money for it. And what we forget is that the things that we are really good at, the things that we are best at in the world are things that we can probably do pretty quickly and without a lot of effort. And so we end up charging based on how how it feels for us to do the work and how much time we have to spend doing the work instead of charging based on the, the value and the impact we're creating for that client. So for example, I don't know if any of you have used a CPA to file your taxes at the end of the year, but they they charge a lot of money, $500, $600, $700, $800 to file a tax return. That probably takes them, at least in my case, like 20 minutes to do, (laughs) but- That's because they're really good at it. They're really experienced. They have, they've put in time and energy and effort and education to get good at that skill. And so our work is no different. Something that you can do quickly and easily and and almost effortlessly, it doesn't mean that that's less valuable. It might mean it's actually more valuable and you need to be charging more for it. So that's one huge kind of paradigm shift that, that people need to make is thinking that, well, because this is easy and not very time consuming, it should be cheap. And the other thing that I've really observed as a coach is I think probably the biggest factor, and it's the fear of losing business. Because I think people, they, they take their pricing out into the world. They get on discovery calls with, with prospective clients and they say, you know, this is what it costs to work with me. And then you always have people, right, that say, uh, I, I just don't have the money right now. It's out of my budget. You know, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't afford it. Your rates are too high. This person over here charges less. And so we've had that experience uh, of someone telling us, I can't work with you because of money. And so that creates this, this fear that if it's this hard to sell my work at this price, how much harder is it gonna to be to find clients that are willing to pay 20%, 30%, even 50% more? Mm-hmm. So I think it's the, that fear of I'm already struggling to get the clients that I really need. Raising rates is gonna make it worse. And I think that's probably one of the biggest factors that holds people back from charging what they really know they should be charging.
0: So how do you, how do you know, like when is it a good
1: time to know to raise your prices? Well, I mean, I think it can be as simple. A lot of times we overcomplicate things in business, right? Right. But a lot of times it can be as simple as, is my business making enough money? Is my business profitable? Am I able to pay myself a consistent income? And if the answer is no, then you have two options. You either need to get more clients or you need to get more money from the clients that you have. And it really can be that simple. I, was, I worked with a client a couple of years ago and she, she came to me and I always ask people like, you know, why did you reach out to a coach? And she said, I am working as many hours as I used to work in my full-time job, in my nine to five traditional job, but I'm still not making enough money to pay my, my personal expenses. So, so there's, there's a disconnect between the rates that I'm charging and, and the money that I actually need to live. And so it really can be as simple as if you are not making enough money, you have to figure out how to, to generate the income that you need from the clients that you're getting. Well, and
0: something that really changed my life that a business mentor helped me with is we were doing, and I know for our listeners that have listened to me for a long time, they've probably heard this story like a hundred times, but like we were doing over 250 weddings in a year, which is crazy. And I just kept saying yes. And I kept hiring more people to help and I just wanted to help. And really it had nothing to do with money and I didn't know how to run a business. I don't know what I was doing. I just knew that I was helping people and, you know, making a lot of girls happy and brides happy by making all their, you know, their, their dreams come true as cheesy as it sounds. Um, but I about died dad that either that year, like I was so unhealthy and it was just, I never slept. It was not healthy at all. And so, um, you know, that's where I had like three packages and people would pick. And then I got this new mentor and he was like, how do you make money? Like, you're just run ragged. Like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, no one's ever asked me that before. I don't know. I have to think about it. I'll get back to you. And then he's like, okay, explain to me what you're doing. And I'm like, you're not going to understand in my head. I'm like, you're like a 60 year old dude. Like you're, you don't get it. And, but what I didn't get it, like, I didn't get that I needed a business plan where I went through and shared with him everything that we were doing. And he's like, well, why are you not doing the design? You have the experience, you have the eye for it. Why are you not charging separately for all of the experience that you have mm-hmm. and planning and logistics is something totally different than design. And I mean, this was back when, you know, wedding planners were not essential. It was still a luxury and people didn't hire designers like this was before Pinterest. And so I'm like, this is going to be a really hard sale, but he mapped it all out for me. He's like, we're going to split this apart. You're going you can, you can keep up with your time. And you can charge for hourly. We ended up selling in time blocks. And then you can charge a percentage for design. And again, I was so uncomfortable when I first started it. And I'm like, I don't really know. And, you know, it is like a confidence level thing. And so when I first pitched the first, I don't know, three or four people, they're like, no, that's that's too much. Um, and I cried. And I'm like, because my closing rate was like 100%. But then the fifth person said, okay, yeah, this sounds good. And then the sixth person said, okay. And so it took us two years to get out of all of those weddings that we had said yes to, that we had no business oh, yeah. doing because we weren't doing full service. And then we took it all to full service and we were able to get it down to 30 a year but from 250, but 30 full service weddings, where we did all the design, we did all the planning, we controlled the entire experience and the outcome was so much better. Not only for the client, but for my profitability as a business owner. And so when people are like, how did you go from doing 250 to 30? I'm like, well, you you have to assess your time, your experience, your numbers. And it wasn't my idea. It was a coach's idea. <laughs> but um, but it was hard to get there. And you're going to have people say no. Um, so what are some of the, like, consequences of people, like, it, I mean, we all make mistakes. Like, there's no easy way to say it. I don't like to use the word mistakes. I like to say opportunities. Like, it was an opportunity for me to learn that I didn't need to be taking this many events to make X amount of profit. There was money always in the bank, but I didn't realize, like, I really wasn't making a profit. So just in your experience of helping your clients with this, like, what are some, like, short-term and long-term mistakes that you have seen where people don't raise their prices.
1: Yeah. I mean, to the first question of the consequences of, of continuing to undercharge, I think your story is a powerful example of when you take, when you take that approach of I'm going to say yes to everything. I'm going to have, you know, 13 different packages that people can choose from, you know, multiply that out and your business was large you were doing a lot of business but you're unprofitable you're stressed you're spread too thin and it it can have really devastating consequences to your personal life and to to your business like whether your business grows or whether it doesn't grow at those lower price points it will still really struggle with profitability and you know that you bring up another important point of of how do you know when you need to raise your prices if you have a 100% closing rate and nobody ever says no then your prices are probably too low and you could probably right. stand to bump those to bump those babies up but you know some some really common mistakes that i see people making around this topic and again I'm like you, like mistakes are how we learn in business. So there's no, there's no shame in making a mistake. We, it's just an opportunity to, to do things better the next time. But the, the overarching theme is that people think the price is what drives the sale. That, that closing the sale depends on picking the right price because, again, we have had that experience of somebody saying, you know, no, I can't really afford that or, or that's too expensive. expensive. And so what we do is we figure out ways to lower our prices. We have like four or five different tiers of service so that we can meet every you know we we feel like we're doing people this big favor because we can work with all budgets right so we make these these miniaturized versions of what we do, these smaller packages um, and we we come up with ways to to meet people where they are price wise um, when when what we really need to do is figure out. Was that the right client for me in the first place, so did that client say no because they really aren't the best fit like they don't really stand to get a lot of value out of working with me, or is there something that I can do better in my sales process to convey the value of what i 'm doing so we, we we internalize this pricing feedback that we get and and make it that the price was wrong, and we need to we need to change our pricing when really most of the time, that's not actually what that's telling you. It's telling you that either your, your lead wasn't the right lead or that you can do something better on, on the sales side to, to improve your conversions and improve your, improve your your closing rate. And so I think the, the biggest mistake that people make is internalizing pricing feedback into the wrong part of the business. Like you should always internalize the feedback that people are giving you, but it, you might be misinterpreting those signals quite significantly.
0: So what are some, do you have any, like, um, I remember when I, when I was taking like a speech class, there, uh, was a guy there who was like, here's some stealth closes that no matter how much you charge, you know, that these men are funny, (laughs) like no matter what your fee is. And he's like, there's some people that charge $10,000 an hour. And there's some stealth closes that you can use no matter what you're going to close these people. It doesn't matter what you charge. Like, do you have any um, feedback towards that
1: at all with like these stealth closes? Man, I wish I did. That'd be really nice. (laughs) But I think that when you're talking about, about selling and when you're talking about selling, you know, a premium priced service, because if you're talking about raising your rates, like you're, you're probably getting into what we might call premium pricing. And I think the biggest shift that is helpful for this when it comes to selling is to focus on the result or the outcome that the client is going to get instead of what we tend to do which is focus on like the deliverables like you're going to get this many images or you're going to get this many sessions co- coaching sessions or you're going to get access to to this online training portal or we, we tend to focus on here's all the stuff that I'm going to give you or we we're, we're focusing on here's why I'm so great and let me prove to you why I'm so great instead of focusing on that client and what they want, what are the outcomes that they want to achieve and demonstrating that you can help them get those outcomes. And so just making that simple shift in your discovery calls or however you, however you conduct your sales process of focusing on showing that you can help the client get what they want. It has an astronomical effect on, on your ability to sell because it also takes the pressure off of you, right? Because selling then becomes talking about the client and not talking about yourself.
0: What are your thoughts on um, having someone else in the company completely handle the pricing? So like I know with me, like I don't, it's, it's not the fun part. Like I'm not a numbers girl. It's not the fun part for me. I just want to talk about how we can do this strategy and build these ads or like build this event and you know, then they're like, well, how much does all that cost? I'm like, oh, you hot talk somebody else. <laughs> like, there's a numbers girl in the company that, you know, helps with all that. Um, do you think there's value to having someone else do
1: pricing for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always helpful to have somebody to be able to operate in your strengths especially when you have a team, you know, there's all these outsourced CEO firms or financial advisors that you can work with. There are ways, even if you don't have an internal team, there are ways to get support in this area. You can work with a coach, work with a consultant, have somebody look at your pricing. There's all these things that you can do, but you can't outsource understanding it right? You can outsource figuring it out. You can have people help you with it. You can meet with a financial advisor on a regular basis. You can do all those things. And I think if you, if you have the opportunity to do that, you definitely should. But at the end of the day, it is your business and you need to understand in, in at least big picture terms, how your numbers work, how your business turns a profit, what your expenses are, and and how how that translates to the day-to-day decisions that you are making in your business. That is not something that you can outsource. You cannot, you know, I I, I can't remember who said this, but you can't delegate your accountabilities. Like you can't delegate right. away. You can't delegate right. away the things that you are ultimately accountable for. And so, yeah, but absolutely get some help get some support get a team member get an advisor get a mentor get someone who can support you and and strengthen your ability to understand your numbers but at the end of the day you have to understand it yourself.
0: Yeah. So what is your advice for people that are listening that and I know we've gone through this too where we we ha- we look at our numbers and our prices every single year and what do we need to move what do we need to shift where do we need to go I mean just when you're looking at your numbers and so you know we have ongoing clients and so some people um if we're like oh we have a price increase because of blah 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 and because of covid you know a a lot of people are like oh my gosh you're gonna have a price increase because some of the hospitality groups we work with they might run june to june and you know things have been crazy in the hospitality industry And so they're putting out new menus and the prices are different and they're more and what these clients aren't understanding, which I, I mean, I kind of get it, but not really because I'm not a chef. I'm not a cook. I don't buy the produce, but I've noticed like meats more expensive. Groceries are more expensive. So what do you have any advice for people when they have clients that are ongoing and then they have a, a pricing menu of services from last year and then they're raising their prices and they push back what are some things that they can say to to these clients that push back
1: yeah i think it's it's definitely if you do if you are in that position where you have ongoing clients you should be proactive in communicating when you revisit your, when you revisit your rates. And so it's probably in your contract somewhere that you can you know, adjust your rates on a certain sort of time frame. but I think it's always a good idea to be proactive and transparent about why, why your, your prices are increasing. So before you put the increase, the, the, the revised pricing out into the world, prepare, you know, get prepared with some of the reasons and the drivers that are behind those increases. and. And just kind of assume that people are are intelligent and reasonable and are going to understand, you know. And if people say, you know, you're raising these prices, this is, you know, what's behind this? I don't understand. To to be able to share that information in a really transparent, in a really and tra- in it's as transparent of a way as you can justify as a business owner, I think is really the the only way yeah. to go about it. I, you know, they're they're probably people out there that are more versed in, in customer relations or public relations that could put a nice shiny bow on top of that. But at the end of the day, I think it's about, you know, conducting yourself with integrity and being honest and clear and transparent about what's going on in your business. And then being prepared to stand, to stand and defend the decisions that you've made, knowing that people might be upset. You know, this is, especially in the time of COVID, it's a stressful time. Um, a lot of people are experiencing all manner of, of suffering and struggling. And so, you know, sometimes the decision you make as as a business owner is going to make people upset and, and just being prepared for that.
0: And stick to your guns. Like, it's really easy for me to say, well, this isn't a good fit anymore, or no, that's not going to work. I hate saying the word no, but if it's not going to work and if it's going to be costing me money rather Mm -hmm. than making the business profitable, then it doesn't make sense anymore. So sometimes like it's okay. Like it's okay. You can't please everybody.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and knowing too, you know, I think knowing what happens if you, if you cave. So I, I worked with a client several years ago that really like she knew what her pricing was supposed to be but she had a really hard time with with making the words come out of her mouth you know <laughs> of, of like saying like i charge this and so what we did is we put together a spreadsheet of of all of her businesses expenses i'm sure you know most of your listeners have something like this in their business of this is what it costs to run my business this is how much i need to pay myself this is how much i need to be setting aside for taxes and then we we did some scenarios of like okay if you continue to charge 20 to 30 percent less than you're supposed to be charging we we looked at the impact we we she knew that means like i'm not going to be able to pay myself my salary or i'm not going to be able to make these investments or i'm not going to be able to to pay for this team member and so i think it's important to know the ramifications of, of not sticking to your guns and no, this is going to mean that I can't pay my team. This is going to mean that I can't pay my rent. This is going to mean that I'm not able to, to do these, these strategic projects that I want to do is super helpful.
0: Are there any like strategies or like advices, like your top four things that you can avoid making pricing mistakes that you can share with our listeners?
1: I don't know if I can whittle it down to the top four. There are many that or are tell coming us your to your top 10. <laughs> yeah. So basing your prices on somebody else's business is don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, basing your pricing on the people that don't want to work with you. So trying to please the person that is giving you a hard time versus pricing for your absolute ideal client in mind that that's a big mistake. Um, Pricing based on how you feel about your work, based on act versus actual numbers, um, is a big is a big mistake. The other the other paradigm shift that's really helpful for people is I think that oftentimes we start the whole conversation by asking the wrong question. So we start the conversation by asking what would people be willing to pay for you know X Y Z thing instead of Looking at what your goals are, like having a number in mind of how much money you need to make in a month and asking yourself, how many clients can I work with in a month? And then you have a rough idea of what you should be charging. And then the question becomes, what would I need to provide in order to, in order to justify this price? So how can I create an experience and a process for my clients that makes this price make sense? So I'm actually in the middle of a rebrand right now for my business. I'm doing doing a rebrand and a new website. And I am paying like I think I calculated 5 times as much as I paid for the first website that I got in my business. Uh-huh. Because this process Includes so much value. It includes the copywriting, it includes the design, it includes the SEO, it includes a launch strategy, it includes a brand identity, a visual brand identity for my business, it includes all of the things that I need to make this a really, really successful project. And so I think that's a huge paradigm shift that people need to make and shift away from, well, how much would people be willing to pay for, you know, wedding planning or a newborn photography session? And instead ask the question, I need to charge this much. How can I make that make sense for my ideal client is a huge one. So what I'm hearing too is like,
0: and, and again, I've learned this the hard way is it's good to try to plan ahead for like how many clients you want and what they're going to pay. Right. So, absolutely. so you don't say, yeah, y'all don't do what I did. <laughs> Like I didn't play, and and I didn't understand. And like, I was the girl where I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is me talking to my business mentor. And I'm like, I never know how many people I'm going to get. And he's like, well, how about you set monthly goals? And then once you have three people book, then you say no, or we're booked, or you know that you don't need to take on anymore because you've already met those goals and those payment amounts. So you know that you're going to be able to, pay your people and pay yourself and do all. And I was like, oh, I, when when I was telling him, like, you don't understand. He's like, no, Angela, you don't understand. Yeah, I really didn't. (laughs) So plan ahead, like whiteboard it out. I don't like paper and I don't like to use paper, but Uh, This is something where I'm like, put a bunch of paper up if you don't have a whiteboard or idea paint and like just ideas away at like what clients you want, how many you want a month, how much they need to pay per month and plan ahead. And it's crazy when you ask the universe for something, it actually will come back to you if you say it out loud enough and if you keep like believing in yourself I know it just it sounds so freaking cheesy, but but it's so true. I don't know. I feel that way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I think setting your intention is is really powerful. And and yeah, I mean you other businesses operate like this too, right? Like if you call a hotel and all of their rooms are booked they 're not like, "Oh, I felt really bad, so i 'm going to let this person sleep in the hallway or in the <laughs> in, in the laundry room or in the ice machine room you know they they're they 're full and even though it doesn 't feel like it sometimes because we 're just selling our time, you do have a capacity you have a maximum number of hours that you can work in a given week and month, and so understanding what your capacity is. And how many clients that allows you to serve is so important because you really can't, you really can't do your pricing without that. You really, you really, it's, you have to know how much capacity you have and then how you're going to divvy up that capacity to your different clients in order to generate, generate revenue. And so I think that's a really, really good point that, that planning is really important. And when you do, you say the magic word of no, or even not yet, that's when you can start doing cool stuff like booking out in advance, because you've, you've said, you know what, I've hit my limit for for June. Let's look into July. Let's look into August. And so I think that's a really, really good shift that your listeners can make if they've just kind of been in a spot of saying yes to everything because, because they think they have to.
0: Yeah. I mean, recently we even had, um, this happened to me twice last week where and it was two totally different businesses where I had scheduled, um, like a complimentary zoom call to talk about some things. And they, these people reached out completely separately and they're like, Hey, do you have any more time? Like, can we move it up? Can, you know, I really need this right now, right now. Right. Like so pushy. And I'm just like, I, we live by our calendar and we block our time. Like once a client books us, we go through our calendar and do time chunks and time blocks and like, yeah, I mean, I, we can be flexible, but like that messes up our entire workflow mm-hmm. and that's not fair. It's, it's kind of like first come first serve, get in line. Like, I don't mean to sound rude. Um, but you know, when I read the, those emails, I'm just like, gosh, Do I even want to work with you? I mean... I don't know what to tell you, like get in my head. I'm kind of like get in line, but there's, there's like warnings that I've learned kind of like pre qualifications of people where I'm like, okay, this isn't going to be a good client because if they think I want all of my clients to feel as though they are my only client, I would love that. I love when people feel that way, but in reality, that's not reality. (laughs) So do you have any, any way to, um, or like any feedback or encouragement for people that have potential clients that are super pushy, like, do you think they should move forward or just like, I was kind of at a loss of words. I was kind of like, no, my calendar hasn't changed. If we, we can't offer you any other options, like, because then if I did, move it, then they're going to get used to that. And we've started off the relationship where they're controlling it. And it's like, no, I'm, we're not doing that. So yeah. what are your
1: thoughts on that? Pushing yeah. people. <laughs> I know. And I think what's, I love, I love asking people this question because, because pe- after you've been in business for like three, four, five years or, or longer, you, you develop your own sort of internal red flag system, you know, I, I I interviewed somebody on my podcast a former client on my podcast a few weeks ago and she is an interior designer and she said one of her red flags is when somebody a prospective client for interior design talks about wanting to work with a designer because they're going to get better deals that that wow. has become a red flag for her because that's that's not that's not really why you work with a designer that's not That's not, she's not a walking coupon. She, she sometimes can get you good pricing on wholesale furniture, but other times that's not really how it works out. So I think you have to a little bit develop your own sort of spidey sense about what types of people are going to work well for you versus, versus not. But the one thing that, that I think is true for everybody's business is you have a process if you don't have a process in place, you should have a process. But you have a process in place for, for, for your sales process. Like you have to probably walk, send people a scheduling link so that they can set up a time to talk to you. They have to sign a contract. They have to pay an invoice. They have to go through a series of steps in order to start working with, with you. If they cannot go through a simple series of steps to get the project started, if they can't pay an invoice on time, if they can't respond to an email, if they can't work a scheduling tool, if they can't show up for a discovery call on time, if they can't do those things, they're probably not going to be great clients to work with. And so I think you have to... You have to observe how a client conducts themselves before you've even started working with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the other thing you have to remember too, anyways, nobody likes saying no to people. I mean, it, I, I, am, I am not immune to feeling super guilty for saying, you know what, this isn't going to work for me. But you have to remember, especially when you're talking about wedding planning, interior design, some of these creative crafts, the projects are really long. Yeah. And so if you, you know, if you get into a situation where you're working with a client that is a bad fit, you're going to be miserable for like potentially a year, a y- even a year. longer. Yeah. Yes. And so you have to keep that in mind and and just realize that that sometimes, you know, your sanity and your team's sanity is is worth preserving and losing a few thousand dollars.
0: It's yeah, th- there has come a point where I remember one year we were, we took on this huge Halloween party project and it was in the beginning, it was so fun and we were so excited. And then the client was such a mess, like bless their hearts. And, um, it was just such a mess. And I'm like, there is no amount of money that can ever come our way to work another event for this client. Like, there's no way. And so, um, you know, sometimes you just have to hold your tongue, which the older I get, eh, the harder it is to do. Yeah. And um, this, this was this was years ago. So if this happened now, I probably would be able to sniff it out. Or I just would have said, you know what, we're done here. We're, we're, we're not going to deal with your mouth and your rudeness and your narcissism. Yeah. And, um, but my step, my team was like this, like there, there was a light at the end of the tunnel, but then the next year they called back to see, you know, were we available? And I'm like, no, we're not available on that date. We're booked. I don't really think we were. And then they're like, well, what about this date? I'm like, nope, we're booked on that date. too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, it doesn't matter what day you say, like my team would never go back and work for you because you were so rude to them. And like, you know, the two clients, like they were like respectful and nice to me, but like, if you're rude to my team, that's a direct reflection. And like, I'm not going to put up with that. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, it's really difficult sometimes. And so again, it's like, no matter how, broke we would that we were at the time I'm like yeah. no we're we're booked we're booked
1: yeah um, and it goes back like you have to you have to develop your own gut sense and intuition about this stuff and I think people the more I talk to different business owners you know my, my sister-in-law is a business owner she owns a children's theater and so she's interacting with parents you know parents of 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 youth All the time, day in and day out, and she—I don't know how
0: she does it. Yeah,
1: she just—you know—this is this is her this is her field, and so she she sent me a text the other day, and she was like, "Somebody just emailed me to say that they were pulling their kid out of my theater," and. I didn't even care. I was just like, good luck, you know, best of luck to you. I hope you find a place where your, your child can really, you know, enjoy theater. Like she's like, I just, you know, three years ago, I would have, that would have ruined my whole day. Yeah. And so I think there's part of this that is just gained with experience, your ability to deal with people, your ability to, to know the right way to handle different situations, how to, how to deal with difficult situations just comes with, with time and experience. I have never experienced anything like child theater.
0: Like last year, <laughs> my sisters, uh, or one of my nieces, she's gotten really into plays in theater. And so um, you're, she, if you tell this story to your sister, she would laugh her ass off because it's like these kids are amazing. Like this, they did beauty and the beast. And this was like the first, like real little acting school outside of like the school play. Uh And so I go and, you know, we have front row seats and it's, it's great. And I was so impressed. I'm like, damn, these kids work hard and they're so good. And so then at the very end, um, My little niece comes over and they like, they school hop. So they go to like all these different little acting schools. So it's like, they don't have like a brick and mortar. Uh And so they come in with a U-Haul and set all this stuff up and then, you know, get the U-Haul loaded and then go somewhere else. And so, um, we're like, all the parents are like helping clean up and like get all the stuff in the U-Haul. And my niece goes, mama, mama. So she's like, Miss so-and-so is going to bring me home because everyone told me that if I help clean up, I'll get a better part in the next place. <laughs> and I wanted to choke her. Like I wanted to crawl under like chairs that didn't exist. And I went over and I'm like, Caroline, sit down on the stage, please. And I'm like, very quiet. I'm like, I don't know who told you that but don't ever say anything like that out loud again. That is super embarrassing. And we'll talk about this later. And I think my sister would like, she didn't even know what to say. She was so embarrassed. And so, but, but that is how it is with some of these kids and their parents. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like Ah. these parents are so, it's so political. And like, I don't even know. My sister was telling me, like, how some of these um, acting moms, it's, like, as bad as, like, the pageant moms. And, like, I grew up around all that, but, like, my mom never acted like that. She would ever, ever. I just, it's um, it's a whole other little a, business there. It's a whole <laughs> thing,
1: man. i and- like, I, I think, think I my, I think my sister-in-law has a, has a really good group of parents, but thank God. Uh, I think that's also why she was not sad to see this particular, to, to see this particular customer go a different direction. Yeah. She was like, you know what? This isn't worth it. There's some it's, things that are more important than, you know, money. Yeah. And sometimes it's like this one bad
0: toxicity of a parent that's like brewing all of this <laughs> Drama, and I'm like, I am 40 years old. Like, is yeah. this really happening? Like, these people are as old or older than me, and I'm like, damn, they never grow out of it. Yeah, and so it doesn't matter what industry you're in, it we all deal with these things, so it's it's crazy. So, my last big question is, um, what advice do you have for people that they're ready to just like completely? They know they need to raise their prices. They know they're done with the mistakes, um, especially coming out of COVID and, and you know what? Some businesses may need to raise their prices to stay alive right now um, because of COVID. What are some things that you can, um, tell them that, you know, I would be like, say strong, you can do it, but I'm sure there's like more tactical things where, Um, you know, it's like ditch your pricing mistakes and like, let's start a new fresh season to make sure you're profitable.
1: Like, what do they need to do? Like, what's the first step? Yeah. I think this is a really good, you know, COVID. I'm not one of those people that's like, look at all these opportunities COVID is bringing us. Like, this is. (laughs) This is a hard time for business owners. This is not like the best time in the world to be a small business owner. This is challenging. But one thing that you can do in this time of transition is reevaluate what you're offering. So is everything that you are offering on your price list and on your packages list, are you thrilled when you book those things? And anything that you're not actually excited to book, just get rid of it and streamline down to, to the things that are really working for you. So that's the first thing. And then re- recognize you know, that the person that is the ideal client for that offer, for your streamlined offers, they, they have an outcome that you can get for them. They have a problem that you can solve for them. And just to remember that people are always willing to pay money to have their problems solved. Amen. Always willing to pay money to have their problems solved. Our refrigerator went out during quarantine. You better believe that I was willing to pay money to have somebody haul that old refrigerator away. I had a problem and they solved it and I was happy to pay them. And your work is a lot more exciting than hauling, hauling refrigerators, but <laughs> we have to stop pricing our work. Like, like, Oh, I'm good. Just going to do you this favor. Or I just want to give you a deal because that makes me feel good because people don't want your favors. They want your absolute best work. And so price, you create pricing around those streamlined offers that reflects the best work that you can possibly do. And then go, then go do that. And, and one more
0: thing that I'll add to that is like, we've, um, done some coaching for some other planners, wedding planners before, and it's almost like they're so salty and angry and pissed off that, that somebody is paying X, Y, Z. And I'm like, why are you pissed off? You're the one that Told them that's what you charge. (laughs) Like, like, and they're like, God, they need to be paying more. I'm like, then you're starting. And like you said at the very beginning of this, you don't know these pain points until you're about three to five years in where you're really in it. And you're like, okay, this isn't going to work anymore. This doesn't make me happy. This makes me angry. This, like you said, if you're dreading something with a client, then evaluate why are you dreading it? So I love that. I love that. This was so helpful and I could talk to you all day about this stuff, but we're out of time. And so if people want to touch base with you or get coaching from you specifically on this,
1: where is the best place for them to find you? Yeah. So I have a resource on this that, that might be helpful to some of the listeners. So it's a free mini course on pricing. So if you want to raise prices without losing business, it's just a free mini course that walks you step-by-step through, through that process and through a lot of the things that we've talked about today. And you can access that. You can go to programs.katiewuso.com slash pricing and get access to that. We'll put it in the show notes too. Thank you so much. That's, that'll be super helpful. Oh, my pleasure. And then to follow me, you know, in general, I, I hang out on Instagram. That's where I spend time. I'm at Katie Wusso on Instagram. And then I have a business podcast called the game changer. And so if you search the game changer with Katie Wusso, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find that.
0: Yeah. Y'all go over and listen to the Game Changer and make sure you're a subscriber. And then I know that you, um, do you check all your DMs on Instagram? Oh, I'm a big (laughs) DMer. Yeah. DM me.
1: I, I, I spend a lot of time in the DMs. I love chatting with people in the DMs.
0: I'm trying to do better. It's like
1: every day,
0: I try to like, I'm like, okay, I'll check everything once a day. And then it, it then it's like, okay, I'll do it in the morning and do it at night. <laughs> yeah. I've got a little bit better since quarantine. Yeah. But now that
1: Things are picking back up. It's like, I've got to put it on my calendar. Totally. Um, and I, you know, this, this one thing I have a relatively small audience and so it's still pretty manageable, but you know, at some point it may not be, and we'll, yeah. we'll cross that bridge when we get there.
0: Yeah, I should grow. And then thank you so much. Like y'all go over and check out the free mini course on pricing, especially if you want to raise your prices. And like I said, I'll put it in the show notes so that you guys can just click on programs.katiwuso.com slash pricing, sign up. Take a listen to the Game Changer podcast. Make sure you subscribe and then make sure that you go over to Instagram. And um, earlier I was like, are you on Facebook too? And she's like, yeah, but you know, not super present. I'm like, yeah, we post, but we're not super present there (laughs) either. It seems like Instagram has taken over. And then now with quarantining, like we've gotten into TikTok, um, which has actually been really fun. So, Are you on TikTok?
1: I have I have resisted it but I you know I watch all the TikToks that people post on Instagram yes and they're pretty fun so I might they just have are. to figure out what that looks like but you know what, too, like I have, if
0: I follow the marketing hashtag, and so like there's some really fun things that you could do with like pricing tips, mm. um, with like some of the fun songs, and people they actually like pay
1: attention more. I feel like, And yeah, then, it's a less crowded platform probably, which presents a lot of opportunities. When, yeah, yeah, when it's, it's just building up.
0: Yeah. It's really fun. Um, But thank you so much for your time today and everyone listening. Thank you so, so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Business Unveiled. Everybody have a great day. Bye. Now that you have all the tools you need to conquer the world in GSD, Just share this with your friends and your fellow GSD leaders and be sure you're a subscriber so you never miss the juicy details of Business Unveiled. And you can ask Siri to listen to the latest episode, but you got to be a subscriber. Before I go, I have a huge favor to ask, and it would mean the world to me. While you're listening, snap a quick screenshot, post it to your Instagram story, tag me at GSD Leader underscore And share with me your top takeaway from this episode and how it relates to you. Until next time, remember, stay productive and profitable. You've been listening to Business Unveiled with Angela Profit. Join us next time as we share our experiences to help you be more productive and profitable in your creative business. For more great resources, visit
1: angelaprofit.com.